Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, where we speak, we grow, we rise. I'm your host, Sarah Moneres. The We Podcast is a part of the We Spot, where we are passionate about creating community and providing a space for speaking authentic truth, growing together, and rising above challenges and into the full power of all we were created to be. Welcome to episode number 45, Foundation of Love. In this episode, I interview Drew Metz. Drew is an award-winning writer, film director, and mental health advocate. He believes in the power of words, cinema, and that love can change the world. Drew grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and lived in 10 homes before 10 years old. He wasn't good in school because family finances kept them moving around a lot. He was a poor kid with ADHD and dyslexia and loving parents but no stability. He sought refuge in creative writing, film, and television. He got the film bug at age nine when he stole his mother's video camera and made his very first film. He is now living in Los Angeles and has written, directed, produced, shot, or contributed to over 70 film and video productions. Drew talks with us about his story, his conflictual relationship with his dad for a large part of his life, and how love has changed everything. His entire platform in life is to have a foundation of love. He is insightful and honest, and I totally appreciate his vulnerability. Now, just a warning, warning, warning. (laughs) There is strong language in this episode. So if you are listening with children around, I would put on some headphones or earbuds. It's a wonderful episode with so many truth bombs. We just don't want you to get caught off guard by the F-bombs that are dropped during this episode. So here we go. Here is my interview with Drew. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. I'm so excited to have the amazing Drew Metz here with me today. We have been trying to organize this for a while, and I'm happy it's actually happening. It's very exciting. (laughs) Yes, it's about time. It's about time. We did a lot of ping pong. (laughs) We did. You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy. So I really appreciate you being here with us today. You're only, I think, my third male interviewee. Oh, Yeah. And I know I met you in LA. That's how we originally met through a, an event that was put on by Carrie Little, mm-hmm. Carrie Little. Uh, forward live now. Yes. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I loved uh, that event because I got to be connected with you and Tyler and mm-hmm. got to see the amazingness that you are up to. So I can't wait to share that with my audience and uh, hear more about what you're up to now because that was like a year and a half ago right oh lord that was a long time ago and you know what's special is carrie and you um i felt immediately just by speaking with you guys that one of the great pleasures in life is surround yourself with people that uplift you and challenge you and many times in business or in any 
any field of work or spiritual work or personal work or religion, et cetera, et cetera, you don't always feel safe and feel like you have people around you that, that do generally feel that way. And I've watched your work and I saw you speak in person. I, I got to meet you and your husband and got to learn about you through Carrie and just the stuff you share on, on social media. And it's really, really special when you get to be around like-minded people or at least high vibrational, positive, uplifting people. And I think that's such a key in life. And as a matter of fact, my father said to me, always surround yourself with people that challenge you, you know? And I think he meant that more than just, he was very um, gruff about certain things. I think he meant it more than just challenge you, you know, strong. I think he meant people that really stimulate your mind and challenge you to be your best you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. That's yeah. I love what you're doing. I think, I think it's a breath of fresh air and it's especially important for, for women and men to connect on this level. It is the way, you know, and so you're a part of that. And I I just, I really commend you for your work and, and grind. Thank you. Thanks. That means a lot. And ditto. I mean, yeah, I, I, I could go into all of the reasons why I thought you were absolutely amazing when I met you in LA, but Don't I'm going to let you. <laughs> well, like, I think we need to chant your name because that's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> I always come up with something, you know, I always come up with something. I, I'm very much a big kid. Um, I'm, I'm a man in many, many ways, but I'm so much Peter Pan in many ways. Um, <laughs> And it's laughter, thing, joy, uh, you have to do it, especially yeah. when, you, when you talk about deep or personal things. You have to make, you have to make levity of, of all of life's endeavors, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, so. Yeah, there has to be a, a, an element of lightheartedness because life can be so heavy and so hard sometimes. That, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Some of the great comedians are great comedians because they have great pain. Mm. You know, Jim Carrey and uh, Charlie Chaplin, all the greats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. They're they're great comedians because they understand pain, mm. um, mm-hmm. and and they're fearless about expressing it in a lighthearted way, um, which is beautiful too. Because Charlie Chaplin, for example, he he was a silent film star and used all these films to use um, comedic, comedic timing and physical comedy and made people laugh. But he saved his spoken word for a film called The Great Dictator. And at the very end of the film, he has this incredibly powerful, evocative and provocative speech about humanity and standing up for humanity and men and women. And people were just shocked. And to be honest, it's such a, he's such a brilliant man because I do the same thing where you, you approach with kindness and love and levity and make people laugh and you make them comfortable. And then you talk about the stuff, you know, you set them up in a way that they are capable of talking about these things. So he used comedy to get people's attention and sometimes was a jackass to get their attention and then would deliver his message. And I just mm-hmm. think that's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's disarming. Hmm. Yeah, because we go around with armor on all the time, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So before we really hop into this, because I already did it. I started. (laughs) No, it's amazing. I love it. But I want people to know about you 
<laughs> and like <laughs> the context of where you're coming from. Yeah. So um, I think that one thing that really touched me when I got to meet you for the first time is your uh, anthem of love, essentially. And that's everything you do is centered around that. And it's just powerful. And so why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners just a little about you. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, Sarah. We'll go there. Yes, let's go there. We want to know. <laughs> well, my name is Drew Metz. Um, I'm a writer and director for film, television, and multimedia. I also consider myself a mental health advocate and a love advocate. Everything I do in my work as a filmmaker and as a writer, but most importantly as a human being, is all on the basis of love. It's the reason for my existence. It's the thing that makes me live. It's the thing I, I seek to be. It's, just, it's the thing I seek to share and create. And it is the one thing that has given me life. And as Johnny Cash put it, um, all your life you're going to face two choices. You can choose hate or you can choose love. And it is absolutely true. And especially this year for me, my MO is choosing one of three things. And they're really all the same, but being conscious all day and choosing one of three things. Am I choosing peace where I try to relax and bring my anxiety down? My, you know, work on my depression, work on my breathing, just calmness. Am I choosing focus where I'm hustling and I'm talking to the person, I'm making eye contact, I'm working hard, I'm staying on the task at hand. I'm also a kid with ADHD and dyslexia, so this is very important to me. Or finally, am I choosing love? And the idea is that if I choose love, I'm going out of my way to be there for someone else, to show up for someone else to take care of them, to make them laugh, to be kind, to be present. And all day I think about what am I choosing? And it's important because we go about life just feeling things. Everyone in this world goes about life feeling things all day. I deal with anxiety, depression, highs and lows all day, mm-hmm. all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and most human beings in this world go about feeling things without ever understanding why they feel the way they do. And then it gets tucked deep inside without any sense of understanding. And without understanding, there's no clarity and there's no change that's positive. And sometimes the lack of clarity and the lack of understanding our feelings turns into um, perversion. Not in the sense of sexual perversion, although it can be, but perversion in the sense that those feelings fester and they don't get released and they don't get understood and expressed and they come out of us in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I have gray hairs all over my face and, and all in my beard and I've had gray, gray hair since I was 14 years old. Sometimes it's genetic, um, but a lot of times it's through trauma and stress. And I never got out of line with my family. I never got out of line with my parents. I was a good kid. I was very imaginative. I was very quiet. I was a natural leader, but I was also a natural introvert. So, um, they, the stresses in my life came out in a physical way. And I also used to pluck all my facial hairs, which I do now when I think or I'm stressed, I'll start to pull hairs Mm -hmm. because when we have these feelings 
and we don't know how to grapple them or understand them, we find ways to express them. So the more we can understand them, the better. And that's why all day I'm asking myself, am I choosing focus? Am I choosing peace? Or am I choosing love? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I just remember this because the past three days have been really hard for me. And I'll tell you, last week I was on top of the world. That's just how life is. Um, but this past, these past three days have been very difficult for me. And, and I totally forgot about my, my MO, my motto. And that's why it goes back to being conscious. Mm-hmm. Consciously thinking, where am I at? Why do I feel the way I feel? And what can I do? Um, I'm potentially going to Bermuda. I'm on hold to go to Bermuda to speak to the children and the adults and also um, a hospital there about mental health and what tools and resources they can use uh, in their community and also personally to deal with these things. Because it's more than just choosing peace, love, and, and focus. It's saying, what tools and resources make me feel better as a human being? And what's ironic is, you know, I've been a filmmaker and writer director my whole life. I've been making movies since I was nine years old and fell in love with cinema at seven years old. I realized that the power of storytelling, the power of characters, transformation, characters with flaws and merits, they're just representative of us. And every time we go to a movie, we pull something. If we, if we feel things, we pull something from that story, or that character that relates to us. Mm-hmm. And it either makes us feel positive or negative or brings light to our own world. And so three, four years ago, I really understood that this is what I was doing as a filmmaker when I made a film called The Love Effect, which is a short film that ironically turned into a very brief uh, viral social media campaign and mental health advocacy group and foundation that I created with the filmmakers. And it's, it started taking me around the country and even the world to share this short film I made that deals with two men wrestling with um, depression, loss, and this idea of love. Two, two men in their uh, late 20s, 30s. And so I, I realized through that film a couple of years ago that everything I do is related to mental health and related to love. Uh, and that was a big wake-up call because my entire life has been that. I've just been expressing it through film, television, and how I behave and act. Mm-hmm. So... There's a long answer. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, I got to see the love effect, which was amazing. I'm, I'm Thank you. so happy that I got to see it. And so tell me, tell us a little bit more though about that like moment where you realized, wait a minute, this is, this is my heart. This is my passion. This is what everything is centered around. I feel like uh, some people never get there. You know what I mean? They're constantly searching. And so how did that present itself to you? And were you expecting it? Or w- what did that look like? Well, I'll tell you, deep in my soul, I knew my entire life that, that love was the answer and the reason. But it took my my true development as a man to understand that. And I think that's, that is the threshold of becoming a man is that you realize the gift, the power, and the importance, and the necessity of love. It's not a, a um, can't even think of any negative word. It's not a floozy, fake, or silly thing. It's not at all. It's, it's everything. All of our choices are based off of the things we want um, or the things we fear. And the real choices that we want and need all are in, from a foundation of love. 
And so to learn and understand love and to operate from that has made me the man I am, but it's always been inside me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that is when we, when we reach that threshold, that's where we truly understand that we're operating from a place of love. And that's, that's what makes us a strong man, strong woman, I believe. Um, so it's always been inside me. I've been sensitive my entire life. Um, and I've, I've thought this way my entire life, but it wasn't, I, I think that I always knew it, but the love effect helped me see it. Mm. Um, I've been making movies my whole life and connecting with people on this level. I made um, a feature documentary called This American Family, which is about my family and understanding what family is after and during a divorce. And I remember I screened it. I screened this, this 50 minute feature like documentary only once. I screened it at, at the college. Um, I was going to Cal State Long Beach. I was given a grant from the Hollywood Foreign Press to make this documentary. And it was very difficult. I turned the camera on myself and I turned the camera on my family and I was probably 22 years old mm. and I screened it and I, I felt people sobbing, laughing, cheering. But one pivotal moment in my life is afterwards, this very young Japanese man, college age, came to me and could barely speak. He, he was crying and he said to me, I understand. And I feel, and and thank you, and this means a lot to me. Mm. And paraphrasing the things he said to me, but he didn't. His eyes didn't leave mine. He just stood there with me, holding my hand, and and told me how much that meant to him. This film, mm. and so I, throughout the course of my life as a filmmaker, as a writer, as a human being, these things keep happening, you know. And so writing and directing has just been the conduit to my message. But in the love effect, that film turned into a mental health organization that has allowed me to speak at schools, private events, corporations, mentorships, one-on-ones. It's allowed me to come and speak to people. So <laughs> the greatest conduit myself, my body, my, my spirit is, you know, using that tool to speak the message. Um, and the love effect was kind of, it helped me see that. And it's ironic because in the film, one of the lines is, um, I always thought love was something I had to feel. It's not love is something I have to see. Mm. And sometimes people are like, the hell is this kid talking about? Love is something I have to see. (laughs) What are you talking about? You weirdo. Well, we want to feel love, but we don't realize it's all around us all the time. Mm-hmm. flowers and children and smiles and kindness and people doing great things our mothers and fathers who love us but we don't we don't feel it the way we want to we don't even see it the way we want to so it's until you realize and start to see the love that you can embrace it you know because here's the thing with my own relationships you want to feel a certain way from our brothers and sisters and lovers and children we want to feel their love our way Mm-hmm. We don't see their love their way. And that's a, that's a nonstop life lesson, you know? Yeah. So now that that film has kind of helped threshold for me to understand that I'm a conduit for expressing these things and helping people, I try to do as much as I can. And, you know, with, with you, for example, we had such a great connection, had a great experience at Carrie Little's Live Now Focus Forward presentation. But as life does, uh, you know, I'm a contractor. I've been a contractor my whole career. 
I've just ran around and tried to do multiple things at once, which is both a gift and curse for me is that I can do a lot, but I also stretch myself very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I never thought about from our first conversation that, oh, Sarah is such a powerful woman. I had to connect with her and, and, and jam because she's doing the work, you know. But I'm glad we made it happen. I mm-hmm. really had, I had a small moment this morning. I was like, do I really need to do this today? Because <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at myself. I was like, okay, we scheduled it for tomorrow. I'm going to fighting. Oh God, I know I'm not going to sleep. And what happened? I didn't sleep. A double, a double, double whammy is that yesterday was a hard day with some loved ones. I went, oh God, of course. But here's, but here's the thing. Life is going to be relentless and ruthless with you anyways. You can't right. control that. You can only control what you should do and can do mm-hmm. and do the right thing. So I'll tell you, by the time we're done with this, I'll be so happy I did it. And that's the truth. Every time I, I, I do something, I'm afraid or nervous about doing mm-hmm. um, so that's up to speed of what's yeah. crossed this threshold of why i act and think this way it's been within me my entire life and i think it's within all human beings the difference is that not everyone has the mentors and the love and the parents and the friends that support that especially with men because men don't go around saying bro let's talk about love how's love doing for you how are you doing with love you know we just don't do that Right. But that's that's the new way, you know. We had to destigmatize the word, just like how we had to destigmatize mental health and suicide and depression. Totally, yes. Ooh, I love it. So I have so many di- different directions I could go right now. Yeah, that's a twenty-minute answer, Sarah. No, we have two ADHD people on here trying to do an interview. <laughs> Let's go here. Let's go there. What's that? Is that a dog? I like the color blue. Oh my god, politics. Oh, Oprah's on soon. Awesome. on Sunday. Am I hungry? Am I sad? Yeah. <laughs> no. I Let's no, embrace like, it. Let's, yeah. <laughs> Let's go there. Yes. Okay. So I guess the first thing I want to know is, so I want to go backwards a little bit yeah. because it's a beautiful and amazing place that you're at right now. And, and you are doing miraculous things in this world, touching people with your films, but also just your, your everyday interaction with them. And it, it's, and like you said, it is a constant, it's a practice, right? It's not something that just comes to you and then it's that way forever. But I also think a lot of times people are like, well, great. I'm glad you're there, but I had all these hard things happen to me and I have this history or, or that. And, and I don't think that I'll ever get there because of my past or because of the things I've experienced. And I think Drew, you are an amazing example of somebody who has experienced hard times and has experienced the pain and has come through on the other side and you continue to practice, but I would love to know just kind of your history. If you feel comfortable sharing that with the listeners, just a little bit of where you've been that has brought you to where you are today. Sure. Well, thank you for all that. It's really beautiful and it's, vulnerability is very important because everything we want is on the other side of that. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm really, I'm really glad that you positioned it and asked that way. Um, I'm happy to talk about pain and trauma because I feel like that's how we help others with theirs. I lived in ten homes for I was ten years old with my family, mother and father, all over California. And as a result of that, I didn't have a strong education. I wasn't, I wasn't good at school because I was constantly moving around. 
also my social and friendship life was hard because I was constantly moving around. Um, my, my mother was 27 when she had me. My father was 37. They thought that they were a good husband-wife material for each other. They had fun. They were young. They were both ambitious. Uh, they were both attracted to each other. And they thought, now's the time we should probably settle down and, have a, and, and get together. But what complicated that was my mother had gotten pregnant. So they were like, okay, well, well, all these things line up, so we should probably do it. But they were missing one ingredient, Sarah. One ingredient. And it rhymes, it rhymes with dove. <laughs> it starts with an L. <laughs> and I joke about this. My mother would joke about this, too. She has a beautiful sense of humor. But they, they weren't in love with each other. They weren't in love with each other. They probably did love each other and had a care, deep concern for each other, but they weren't in love with each other. So as a young man, as a boy, I knew that my parents weren't in love with each other. And there were times where they would say that, fast forward later, probably my adolescence, they would say, when you guys graduate high school, me and my kids sis, you guys um, will, will separate and go our own ways. So even as a young man, I saw that mom and dad didn't love each other. Mm. They slept in separate rooms. But furthermore, my father hated himself in, the, in that part of his life. So he was emotionally and verbally abusive to me and to my mother all the time, constantly breaking us down with words and making us feel uh, stupid and low class and just breaking our spirits all the time. So as opposed to building a man, he was destroying a young man all the time. And, mm. and what's different about emotional abuse is that if I, if my father punched me, I would have known that's wrong um, and, and done something about it. So would my mother, but to have someone say, I fucking love you. Don't you understand? This is why I'm telling you not to be a fucking loser. Emotional abuse is complicated because they say these things. I love you, but this, this, and this, and I'm being hurtful to you because I love you. you the lines are blurred. You're not sure. And you just take it. And so women go through this a lot too in their, in, in their adult relationships. I've been through this too in my adult relationships. So emotional and verbal abuse is um, in many ways worse because you can't see it. You can't escape it. Mm -hmm. Um Fortunately, my mother was, was a saint in many ways and was my protector, was my best friend, was my truest mentor, and, and pretty much raised me. Um, so I didn't have a lot of confidence growing up because of the, the emotional abuse, but I was a natural leader. And so when I had close friends, when we did settle down in the East Bay, San Ramon area, when I was in elementary at some point after 10, um, I did have a group of friends and I, I, I was a leader. I was a leader and I, and I was kind and we had fun. And so I saw that from a place of love, I was much bigger than I realized, even though in my own home, I didn't feel that way except for my mother making me feel that way, who you know, did the opposite of my, my father. She would hold my hand and say, you don't realize how special you are, do you? Mm. You have all these gifts and you have these blue eyes and you got this big smile and you can just create and imagine anything. And you're reading Jack London at seven years old you don't understand how special you are. So did the opposite of what my father would do. would plant all these beautiful seeds and, and encourage me to be who I am now. So, yeah, I think, that, I think that the majority of all of my, 
neuroses and positive and negative things about me come from the relationship of mother and father. Um, I ran off to, well, no, correction, I ran off. I, I told everyone I was going to Italy at 20 years old, and I did it. And I went to Italy by myself for two months. Um, I remember getting a call from my father in the hills of Sicily, and I don't know how he got the number, but he got to the family that I was staying with. And this is pre-internet and cell phone text message. Uh, I'm the last of that generation that you know knew life prior to that, my AOL and dial-up. I even wrote on a typewriter once to Shaquille O'Neal, who never responded. Um, <laughs> I told him my, my little brother was dying of a disease. I don't have a little brother, but I thought I would get his attention. Didn't happen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Again, I was a creative kid. Um, I'll ask him when I see him, but it's like, Shaq, did you get my fucking letter? <laughs> Why didn't you respond? I wrote it on a typewriter, dude. It took forever. <laughs> so I'm part of that generation that knew life prior to cell phone obsession. And so I'm in Sicily in the hills and we're driving through the hills with this family. And I spoke conversational Italian. I'm very rusty, but I understand more than I can speak. Uh, also, Sicilians speak very, very fast and intense. So it's, but um, my father calls me and he's, he's yelling and he's like, when are you coming home? I'm injured. No one's understanding what's going on but you. You need to come home right now. I'm, I'm in pain. I need your help. And I'm like, I don't even know what he's saying. He's just going off. He's just going off. And I said, hang in there. Uh, I'm going to book my return home flight soon. Um, and that was that. So two months in a different country by myself, came back, and, and my dad was still an asshole. And I, I basically just... I came back from Italy because I ran out of money. I was accepted to film school um, and I was going to turn 21. And I thought to myself, well, I should go back to the Bay Area where I'm from because um, I should celebrate my 21st with my family and friends. Well, two, two major pivotal things happened to me amidst all this storm of change. Um, I told my father that I don't care who you are and what you think about me or my mother. You're never going to speak to me like that again or my mother that way if you want to have any relationship with me. Do you understand? And that was the threshold of the first stage of be becoming a man because he changed in that moment because I didn't care that he was sick and that he may die. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone to treat me that way. I don't, it didn't matter. Yeah. And I had already dealt my entire life being abused in that session in that, in that way. His change wasn't immediate, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forecast in the story that my father was the most hateful man I've ever met in my life and is the person that taught me hate. But by the end of the life of his life, he was the most loving person in my life, mm. the most loving human being that I had known. Mm. So this idea that love can change people, you're absolutely freaking right. It can. Um, part of the issue is that we try to force change and force other people to change or love us in the way we want to. And that's just not how it works. So I tell my father this, I run off to Southern California. I leave my home of, um, the Bay area at 21 years old and I never come back. And now I'm here. Um, I go to film school and in this, in this time I'm separate from my family and it's very difficult. I'm on my own. Um, but I learned to develop a relationship in a different way. and this is when my real relationship with my father started and it turned out to be very beautiful and very meaningful. And he was one of the most, while he was um, emotionally and verbally abusive, he was from day one, a supporter of me being a filmmaker. It was the one thing we had in common was that we both loved movies. And the only time we would spend together 
would be watching movies. Mm. I was an artist. He was, he played golf and was a guy's guy, drink beer, rock and roll, talk about chicks, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't like that. That's just, I just didn't feel that way. Mm. So all of that kind of shaped into um, the, my adulthood and manhood. Um, and I guess that's the majority of the, the, some, some of the bigger pain things, but I think relationships, um, being in and out of love has also shaped who I am. But, um, to fast forward this, this man who was the most hateful man who taught me hate. My mother had taught me love truly. My father became so loving by the end of his life. He was relentless with being kind and trying to spend time with us. He would always say, I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. And, and it meant the world to me because he meant it. And I was always defensive and a lot of times curt and not loving towards him because I had basically been raised to be defensive and protect myself from him. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways I was hard on him like he was hard on me, but there would be these great threshold moments where him and I would connect so beautifully. Um, and I remember pitching him after a long day of taking him from hospital to hospital to hospital. He got sick in the latter part of his life again from this first sickness, 21, 21 years old. And then fast forward to 26, he got, he got sick again. And I was taking him hospital to hospital, emergency room, this and that. And he was all, he, he hadn't slept for a week, literally. And he had lost weight and um, I helped him get medication and he was such a jerk to me that day, but he was in so much pain that he couldn't even control himself. And so this, this mirrored how he was in the earlier part of his life where he wasn't in physical pain. He was in emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And, and now fast forward that he was sick, he was in physical pain, which both of those physical and mental distort your behavior and the way you look at the world, the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. But we're sitting in his apartment. Um, he moved, <laughs> he moved to Southern California just to be closer to us. He, he left his girlfriend at the time and moved to Southern California right across the street from Disneyland because he knows my sister and I love Disneyland are there all the time. That's how much this man loved us. He moved to a retirement home prematurely because it was the closest and cheapest place he could live next to Disneyland thinking wow. that he would see his kids more. Mm-hmm. Like, he really, really made the effort at the end of his life. But he's doped up on uh, Vicodin and he's sitting in his, his bathrobe on this um, stool and I'm sitting in a chair and I'm, I'm telling him a film that I wrote in, in grad school, film school, USC, about a father and son that go on a road trip to sell their family's old home and how they reconcile over the divorce and their relationship and how hard it was growing up together. And I tell him the story and it's, it's most of it is true, but some of it's fabricating over the top. Um, for example, the father and son go to, ha- go to have a steak dinner at a strip club, which the son hates. And the father's like, yeah, let's do it, bro. We're, we're men. We do these things. And the son's like, this is fucking terrible. Why would I eat a steak at a strip club? This is disgusting. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which never happened. But that's in terms of like polarity and disposition. My father was a manly man. And I was like, art and sensitivity and respecting <laughs> people. And he's like, fuck it, do whatever you want. I'm rolling stuff. Fuck you, fuck you. It's all about me, you know? So yeah. I pitch him the story and he just, he just sits there for 45 minutes staring at me. And my father loved to interrupt and talk over people. He never let anyone finish a sentence. He shut his mouth for 45 minutes and just listened. And by the end of it, he just shook his head and goes, wow, that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> you got to do that. 
you know, he, and I said, I know not all of it's the truth, but it, I wanted to capture the feeling of certain things about me and certain things about you. And he says, no, that's your truth. You tell it exactly the way you do it. Hmm. So, so this man who <laughs> we had nothing in common growing up, I was terrified of him. Um, was incredibly hard and cruel. He would be so loving in these ways. And by the end of his life, he was so loving in his support. You know, he would go out of his way. I would be such a jerk to him on days at school that was hard for me, where I was making a film and it wasn't working. I was with someone and it wasn't working and he would just keep pushing and showing up. He would keep fucking showing up. Mm. And, and I learned that part of manhood is that, you know what, people, men and women, uh, uh, people won't always embrace you or embrace your love. But when you do love someone, you don't give a shit. You still show up for them. You know what I mean? Like you, you mm. don't, you can't expect them to love you your way. You just keep showing up because you do love them. Love is the gift of giving, not to receive, but to give them because you love them. Mm-hmm. So he taught me that final chapter in love. I'm like, damn, dad, you're such an asshole, but fuck, you were so cool at the end. <laughs> <laughs> And I do that all the time now too, because people hurt me all the time. I'm so sensitive about certain things and, and the people we love the most, we're so sensitive about. Mm-hmm. So anyone that I love that loves me, they can hurt me like that. But I realized to my father, you just keep showing up. You just keep showing up. And when they're really hurting and scared, oh man, do they appreciate you. You're their whole world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll leave with saying this and I'll leave you. I don't want to leave you, Sarah. Please don't leave me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to truncate my answers here. Uh, I'm trying to write a lot of things for a novel that I'm working on and also um, an anthology of stories for the third or fourth book I want to publish. I'm finishing my, my first book right now. And you just got to do it for yourself and for others. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we, we feel things all day and we get hurt all day and we have to show up for ourselves and for others. And the more we do that, the more inactivity breeds fear and anxiety and depression. But activity is the source of creation. And we are here to create, create love, create things with our gifts, create children, create relationships, create moments, create laughter. So we have to keep moving and keep doing things. To do something is to show up, mm-hmm. you know, show up for yourself and others. How about that for a short answer? Oh, no, God. God. Sorry, you got to cut me off. No, this is the point of this. We want to hear your voice, Drew. Yes, speak your truth. Your voice. That's that's what that's what this is about. <laughs> yes, and I think your dad was right on. I mean, that's amazing. It's a, it's amazing to be able to see that kind of transformation in someone and and what their lives look like without love and and what it looks like with love. Big time. Yeah, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in his earlier life, he was probably driven more by fear and you were able to see that switch. And I think, unfortunately, most people are driven by fear. Switching to love is, it's a hard shift for a lot of people because it makes them have to be vulnerable. Yeah. That's our big fear is being vulnerable. I'm going to open myself up to you. I'm going to tell someone how I feel. I'm going to tell someone I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I recently hurt someone's feelings and I feel so terrible about it. And 
Um, I profusely said sorry, but it's not enough for me. Maybe enough for them. But for me, I'm so deeply hurt that I hurt someone that I love that I can't handle it, you know? But my truth is I will continue to be vulnerable and showing up for this person because I love them. Mm-hmm. And, and vulnerability is also the foundation of truth. You get to the truth faster. And, you know, if anything, just try to seek the truth. Love is in the truth. Peace is in the truth. Focus and clarity is in the truth, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you can only do it your way. But if you are operating from a place of love, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable and tell this person clearly why I'm sorry again. Um, the best feeling that I've also learned in, in this stage of my life is knowing that I tried my fucking best. And that's all you can do. So mm-hmm. my way is going to be apologizing and articulating to this person well, I'm a jackass and, and showing up and being vulnerable because even if this person says, screw you, or they don't say anything, or they say the, the best case scenario, Oh my God, you're awesome. I love you. Um, I will have made my best effort mm-hmm. and love is always the best effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Can I get a witness? Drew, 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 Drew. <laughs> Sarah, should we flip it and talk about you? No. <laughs> can we do an interview you. soon? Well, can we do an interview soon where I interview you? That's <laughs> sure, I'll I'll do that. <laughs> but you podcast soon. <laughs> if I if I could be a participant in that, where I can ask you questions, if you want to. Yeah, I'm open to that. Okay. I think this is this is where we connect in in the power of vulnerability and and putting your story out there and speaking your truth and how important that is. And I know for me personally, I mean, I lived afraid for so long Mm. and being able to make that shift. I mean, there's not really a way to fully describe it. I feel like, and this is why it's so amazing that you have movies and a beautiful way with words to be able to illustrate the feeling. I think that comes, comes with it in, in being able to make that shift because I think it's a shift from hiding and being small and unfulfilled and and disconnected to being able to really experience the full benefit of, of, connection and true real authentic connection with other people because like you said the the person who you're um having i don't know who you've recently hurt Mm -hmm. so often in this situation like that people would get defensive or they would blame the other person for whatever it was it's a normal path and the first path we usually take yeah yeah Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And not until you can get to the place where you can say, this is what I did and I'm so sorry. And this is what drove me to do it. My hurt, my fear, my past, my vulnerability. And at that point is when you can truly be known and you can truly connect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this, this person is a good example for me because, and I really appreciate your your words on that 
because I'm also helping a friend who in his a relationship important to him, they, they go days without speaking to each other. And let me tell you, Sarah, I just can't fucking handle that. <laughs> I'm like, you go and you confront them right now. Yeah. You get on this shit right now. Yeah. That's a gift for me, but also flawed because I'm not good with giving people space sometimes if I, you know, this idea, if I, if I deeply hurt someone, if I deeply hurt you, man, I would go out of my way. I would go out of my way because it's not who I am to deeply hurt someone. I've been deeply hurt my whole life. Multiple, not just my father, everyone. Mm-hmm. And everyone has but everyone deals with it differently. The first step is, I hurt your feelings, you hurt my feelings, I'm defensive, you know? But I'm lucky where I I go to the truth, I go to the love faster, which is, I hurt you? That's the opposite of what I want you to feel. And I told her that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but, But feelings do take time to get to that clarity and focus. And that's why a man and a woman just has to keep showing up for someone they love. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're right. I think that you have to speak your truth, and I think that the sooner and more clear and loving you do, you get that sense of relief of I can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything else. You right. know, and that's uh, we we keep we hold on to something so deep sometimes that it just festers through everything. It comes out in gray hairs. It comes out in punishment. My father would, my mom would say she's taking, he's taking it out on us because of X, Y, Z. And it's true. We take out our feelings on the ones we love most. We're hardest, hardest to the ones we love most mm-hmm. because we're most vulnerable with them. So I think that the faster we just deal with conflicts and get to them, but speaking from a place of truth and with compassion is, is key. And I'll tell you this other thing, this idea of pain and fear. Fear is a, a huge part of your life and everyone's life. I deal with depression and anxiety all the time. I help people all the time with anxiety and depression. Some people in this world, through business and through friendships, only know me as this bright, goofy, lanky, tall, loud motherfucker. And I'm always positive, and I'm always this, and you got such a good spirit, Drew. That's me, but that's me making an effort. I go out of my way to try to be positive. Mm-hmm. Out of my way. Fear is something that I feel. Love is something I do. Mm-hmm. And it has made the world a difference. To, and you do this too, Sarah. You, go, you make the effort to be kind and, and bright and considerate to people. But when we're alone, that's when we feel that fear and that anxiety and, and those things that make us feel less. So the more activity, the more we give, the more we do, the less we feel that back there and the more we help other people, which in turn ultimately helps us. So it is an effort. It is an all day effort, everyday effort. I'm every day up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm every day fighting my, my own feelings. I'm at war with my heart. But when I'm making the effort, when I do show up for myself and others, it makes all of life worth it. All mm-hmm. of it, you know? Yeah. Mm, so good. This is what I love about you is you talk about it. So just so openly, because I, I think what happens too is people stand back and they see you from a distance and they see, Oh, look at Drew. He's so amazing. He's a film director and he's doing this and he's doing that. He must have the perfect life. Hell like, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I could tell you about the struggle in so many ways. <laughs> the struggle is real, Sarah. Yeah, well, it is. It is real. And but we always assume or we project on other people. Yeah. You know, we're the only ones that struggle. We're the only ones that have fear, and yeah. and nobody else does. And you sure we all do. No, we all do. The the funny thing is, people fake it so well. You can't tell me that there's a single person around us that doesn't feel deep pain or remorse or guilt or know they did wrong. Everyone does. It's just to what degree. I'm so sensitive about morality. Morality is one of the best things about me because I, I don't want to do wrong to anyone. I go out of my way to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also a, not necessarily a gift, or a, a curse, it's a flaw because uh, people have taken advantage of me because of my morality, because mm-hmm. I do want to do the right thing. Even if they're not doing the right thing, I'll still do it. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the burden, but everyone deals with pain and fear. Everyone, everyone, everyone. The difference is not everyone deals with it internally or with, with their support and not everyone acknowledges it. My shit is all out there. I will go zero to hundred with anyone about any relationship, any talk. It's been, that's been who I am my whole life. My mother's the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It's the way you can't, you know, you, we can't unpack things about our fathers and our relationships or our fear until we start to sit down and deal with it. Part of the work's with us. Part of the work's with people that we trust, that love us, you know. And, and it's for, this is for men and women and children. It's, this is for humanity. This is what we have to do. The new way isn't being strong by not dealing with it. The new way is being strong by fucking dealing with this shit like a bull. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Like I mentioned with my friend, this is just fresh yesterday. You got to do it. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't hide from how you feel. You can't hide from what hurts you. It will just find its way out in gray hairs and other things that suck. You know. Yeah. Well, and cancer <laughs> and all totally. of the yeah things, totally. all of the things that are happening and so prevalent now. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah, my dad smoked when since he was thirteen years old. He did. He died from not dealing with his problems because he never went to the doctor. He never went to the dentist. When he got that operation, when I was 21 in Italy, he mm-hmm. got that operation and never went once for a checkup. Yeah. Fast forward, I'm 27 years old, and the doctor's like, you got the same problem you had when you first came in. Why didn't you come in? He was like, uh, and I'm like, because you're scared, Dad. Now, I can't judge him for that. I understand why. That's a deep fear. Mm-hmm. He just didn't, he didn't open himself up to fight that fear, and it, it was too late for him. So his medical report is like 160 pages. I still can't articulate what he actually died from. I, I can, I can go through it, but mm. he essentially died from his neglect and fear. Now he went out loving and being so kind, mm-hmm. but his fear of hospital and sickness and all that kept him from living his life. And on the flip side, my grandfather also smoked since he was 13, stopped at, um, I think 30. He lived till he was 92. And he had he had done triple bypass this blah 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 surgery here ninety two years old. What killed him was my grandmother dying. Mm. He was done in a month. Yeah, that's why he's like I'm out. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know. So our mind is in so many ways the most important thing. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, our soul and our heart is, but the way in which we treat and operate with our mind is everything. It, it prevents disease. It fights disease. It brings to the universe and to us all the things we want and need. And this new way, what you are doing, 
what your colleagues and friends and family are doing is being conscious and asking the hard questions. Why do I feel the way I do? Why do you feel the way you do? Mm-hmm. Until men and women do that, we go nowhere. We go nowhere at all. Yeah. You know? And when we do do it, I remember from Carrie Little's presentation that you talked about fear and how it's crippling for you and it's so much your life is living in fear. Well, sister, everyone's the same way, you know, but you are doing the work for you to break through that. And it shows, it shows. You, you, I love, I love the conversations you have with these people and I love the things you write. I'm like, take notes, y'all. Take notes. <laughs> this woman's doing it. Yeah. Showing up for herself and others. Seriously. Thank Seriously. It, it's the way. It's the way. Yeah. Well, I think uh, <laughs> I can say the same about you. Yes. Which is why I think it's so easy for us to connect to because it's, it's, it's a, it's not an easy path either. It's, it's a harder path sometimes to choose love. It's to, to choose vulnerability, to choose connection. It's, I heard uh, John Maxwell say recently, anything that's worthwhile is uphill. And oh yeah. I think it's so true. It, it, it is a harder path, but it's so worthwhile. It's so worth it in the end. And too many people say, I just want the easy way. And, but it's, then, then that's the way that's not fulfilling and, and all of those things. But yeah, I, I feel like this is something that we could talk about forever. I love, love, love that you are showing men a new way that they can be and still be manly and still be all of those things, but be loving and consistent within themselves and how they are on the outside. I think men have it so much harder than women in this area. Oh, in this area. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got it worse. Oh man. No woman has ever said that. <laughs> we both have worse areas for sure. Yeah, you're at, you're so right about that. It's it's understanding those areas. Yeah, you're so right. We yeah, it's just culturally across the world, men are not raised to be open and vulnerable or sensitive. No. So part of my story is I was raised by a strong woman, and that's why I am this way. But I, I appreciate what you're saying. Is I, I want to be a part of that from men and women, mm-hmm. you know, gender, regardless, we all have to do the same work, but yeah, for men, it's especially hard. Uh, all, yeah. I mean, women are very graceful about when they do open up, it's everything. When men open up, it's like, here's a little bit, a little <laughs> too much. Oh, give me back. Here's a little bit more. Let me mask it with some shit. I'm angry, but I'm actually sad. Uh, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm fine. You know, like, it's it's yeah like we we mask so much and men have to be strong and this idea of strong is being stoic and and not emotional and not crying i was taught the same way you know you know a man doesn't cry Mm -hmm. bullshit right human beings cry um yeah I, i love shocking people when they see me cry in a movie or see me cry when i talk to them because i'm not afraid of that in fact that's in many ways, because I'm a tall, lanky, loud person, by being vulnerable with them, 
they are at ease and realize that I care about what they're saying, you know? So me being a goofball and joking is, is trying to be vulnerable. So they see that I don't think I'm better than anyone. I, I, I want you to know that you're my brother and sister and I can chat with you and be real with you mm-hmm. because anyone, if I walk out and go get my coffee after this podcast and a barista wants to talk to me about their, their pain. Oh man, I, I, that's just such a gift to, to be able to help someone else. And part of how we deal with our fear personally is we help others with their fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I have a little seven-year-old boy who's pretty sensitive. Mm, I like him already. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. What's his name again? Logan. Logan. Yeah, yeah. He's taught me more than I think I've taught him so far. Oh, um, he's amazing. They're but so I, pure. <laughs> yeah, he really is. But I, I see too, and I, you know, in my work with parents and all of that, uh, the way that boys, especially sensitive boys, get treated when they're younger. Yeah. And I I would love for you to speak to that if you can. Like, how do you think you parents can nurture that more than shut that down in their children? To sensitive boys, great question. Very great question. Uh, I'm mentoring a few kids, both family members and um, aspiring filmmakers, and I see this in them too. Um, It's the same for sensitive girls and sensitive human beings. You find out what they're passionate about, and you encourage them like you you think they're they're a gift from God, because they are, you know, because every time I do my best work, it's because I feel loved and respected and encouraged. I don't do my best work by the pain of, of judgment or deadline or pressure. I do my work, but it's not my best work. Mm-hmm. So finding out what he's passionate about and what he loves and having him teach you makes him more confident, makes him more pronounced, makes him more articulate for all, for all little boys and little girls is, is finding how they speak and, and what makes them want to be s- s- spoken to. So it's unlocking their passion and encouraging passion because I never had an interest to learning a musical instrument. I regret it now, but I was interested in writing, drawing, creating. So my mother was an artist in many ways. And so she supported any art I wanted to do and it helped me grow and become confident. And anyone who's sensitive, the more they feel confident, that's how how they break their threshold of um, insecure fear, you know? So find out what they're passionate about and encouraging that trying to understand what makes them shut down. You know, my father's tone of voice would shut me down like that, defensive. His certain word choices, I cuss a lot, it comes from him, sorry. Um, (laughs) I would shut down. So finding out what makes them sensitive and trying to understand the root of it. And maybe, just maybe, if you you do understand or have an idea of what makes them sensitive, find a way to get them to talk about it in a way that they are, confident and clear but at the source of it it's it's encouragement and it's passion and it's uplifting you know Mm -hmm. if I was I was the leader of my group of friends outside of my mother and father I was I was the leader of the group we used to role play Star Wars and we'd be characters and we'd be superheroes or we would run around like Lost Boys and play in the creek and I was always the leader everyone knew that but 
I was a leader not because I was a I was demanding of it. I was a leader because I was so passionate and they loved me and they cared about me. I was the I was the leader of love. Now I didn't think this way as a kid, but I knew it's who I was because I was kind. I cared about all of them and I helped them be whoever they want. This guy wanted to be Chewie from Empire Strikes Back. I wanted to be Han Solo from Empire Strikes Back and Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi. My friend wanted to be Luke Skywalker from A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, and the second Star Wars movie. Great. We all have our roles. We're all, we all know what we're doing. So I was supportive. And so while I was an introvert in many ways with my family, I was uh, an extrovert with my friends because I felt safe, I felt loved, and I felt respected. And that's why I was a leader. And there were times when other people or kids would come to play with us and they would dethrone me from that because they were aggressive and negative and just powerful. That's the other side, you know, when the bully comes in and takes control, grabs things, and this is how it is, and I'm this, I'm the strongest. So it's always from a place of encouragement and, and passion and patience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but so many boys are, are sensitive now and, and uh, sensitive to their own fathers and sensitive just in general. So mm-hmm. I think the more you tap into what they're excited about, they, their colors come through, you know. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Yeah, I see... Um... And I don't know if you're familiar with the term highly sensitive person or empath. I mean, they're kind of the same. They're just talked about different, like uh, highly sensitive is more like the psychological term. Empath has more like spiritual implications. But I found a lot that these types of personalities, which are are more sensitive, are pretty highly correlated with ADHD and those types of things. Mm-hmm. It's an I frame it as a superpower. It can be absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like I think it is an amazing gift because you have the ability to see things that maybe other people don't at this point or they've closed themselves down to I think everybody has the ability it's it's a matter of how open you are to that absolutely and so I love that because it's a new it's a new kind of superhero like it's a new kind of way to look at what is strong what is powerful Mm -hmm. and embracing that rather Mm -hmm. than viewing it as a weakness because it's definitely not yeah, there's a stigma with this because um, I was told my whole life that I have ADHD and dyslexia. I don't have any paperwork that says this. My mother was told this and I was told this. My mother told me that I had this and she said, you're not going on any medication. I said, okay, fine. And I've never taken any medication for any of my craziness, um, <laughs> which we all craziness. are. craziness. It's a superpower. <laughs> it is. Because, you know, my, my father recognizes all the time. He's like, Here's the thing about ADHD is that my gift and my curse is that I'm always doing multiple things and mm-hmm. I can, I can do multiple things, but sometimes that leaves me scatterbrained or too thin. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, ADHD also, when we do lock in, we get this laser focus. It's like, choo, choo, yeah, nothing else, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tapping into it. My father said I got serious in middle in high school when I decided I was going to be a filmmaker. I was never a good student but I became a great student, become a great filmmaker. Yeah. And so that was because I unlocked my passion. 
Mm. I unlocked what I wanted to do. And so I dedicated my life to it and turned it around. I went from a 1.7 GPA junior year to a 3.7 GPA and I graduated. Mm. Um, And I made up for my entire high school education in junior college. Mm -hmm. And then I fought to go to film school. And then I fought 10 times harder to go to grad school and go to my dream school, USC. So passion relates to grit and relates to dedication and perseverance. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to teach our children and each other what are the things that we do love and we are excited about because in all of our colors come out, you know, and, and the thing about ADHD and dyslexia and other neuroses, um, I think there's nothing wrong with medical help or um, therapy. I think it's beautiful. I think it's important. Everyone should explore that because everyone needs different tools and resources and, and foundations to support their growth. Yeah. My story just so happens that I never, I've never been to therapy and I've never taken medication. I'm not against it at all. It's just the way my life has turned out. Mm-hmm. But at the very, very basis of this foundation, we have to find out what our kids love and, and don't like and, and support them being open to trying things mm-hmm. because they find out what they like and don't like, and then their passion shows. So the superhero power is absolutely true. Um, when I'm passionate about something, I don't even sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. people know me i stand i stand on set for 12 hours mm-hmm. i don't sit down on set because i want to show people that i'm here i don't I, you know i don't like director's chairs they're bad for your back i don't like sitting on set i sit down during lunch to sit with my team mm-hmm. um but otherwise i stand and when and when i'm excited about things even when i was a kid when i was excited about video games i would wake up and be like oh i can't wait to play this game and be creative and imagine and think about all these different cool stories mm-hmm. so when we unlock our passions Human beings can do anything and children can do anything. Mm-hmm. When we do the opposite and close those passions and we close opportunity, we close, you're not this, you're not that, you are this, you are that, and close them. Right. Not only do we go close, but we go inward. Mm-hmm. And inward turns into, you know, we fold into ourselves and as opposed to blooming mm-hmm. with colors. So, you know, I would say also just being patient too. Um, I've recognized because I mentor some kids. I'm like, man, this kid's worse than me. I thought I was bad. <laughs> um, but I'm also, I know when I need to be conscious where I'm like, oh man, I'm definitely too much right now. I need to focus. And in, and in my friend that I, I hurt their feelings, I realized that um, my ADHD was running wild because I was so excited to be around them. I'm like a kid around them. And so I'm like, blah, 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 and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then act like a jackass. So <laughs> it's a process too, but we have to destigmatize this idea of you have dyslexia, you have ADHD. Right. Mm-hmm. It should be like, you have ADHD, man. You, when you unlock that, get ready because you're going to move mountains yes. and you're going to stay up all night working on something you love. Totally. Like, you have no idea what you're about to experience. It is a power. so true well i think they say like i don't know 80 percent of entrepreneurs have adhd or something like that so true yeah they're they're crazily passionate you know right they're neurotically passionate (laughs) yeah but and i agree we need the tools to figure out how to rein it in sometimes because to harness that power yeah exactly harness it Mm you know all these superhero movies are all about these heroes thinking that they're not good enough and they're told by a mentor that no you don't understand you are special and you do have special powers and that even frodo from the shire the smallest person in the world can be 
the biggest and the strongest person in the world and save the world. Even Peter Parker, Spider-Man, who had this burden of these superpowers, realized that he has power to help others and help himself. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all a, it's all a metaphor for who we are. We all have special gifts and special reasons for our existence. I think so much of life is understanding those gifts and using them to serve others, which in turn serves ourselves. And I hope that I can't wait to have kids now. I just want to spoil them rotten with this love and this idea because all of us are given gifts. The saddest thing in life is when we don't use our gifts or realize our gifts and realize that we are enough to Mm. serve the world and serve each other. Yeah. Mm. Can I get another amen here? Amen, sister. (laughs) We came to get it, Sarah. We the podcast. We the people. Let's go. Watch out, naysayers. You got a problem with ADHD? Well, let me tell you, I'm the worst of them. Here I come. Zero to 100. (laughs) I'm really glad you're raising a sensitive boy. I'm really glad. You guys are going to have the most beautiful relationship throughout your lives. I can just see it getting better and better and better. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's helped my husband, too. I mean, you know, my husband is the classic... manly man you're supposed to be this manly man and I think it's rocked his world a bit too which is great you know to have a sensitive boy he can be he can show up for him in a sensitive way differently than he can for most other people and so it's really a cool amazing thing I think we're given the kids we need sometimes too it's so true Mm-hmm. So they're so pure. They're as close to God as it gets and they're unfiltered and they're real. And it's mm-hmm. like, they, they do make us better people because we are responsible for them. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm always so honored when I get to mentor a kid or be kind of my little cousins or just a stranger. It's like kids, kids show us life. You know what I mean? They show mm-hmm. us so much truth. It's the same as animals. They're so truthful and so unconditionally loving. You yeah. Know? And like to me, love is God and God is love. And it's like for a dog to keep showing up and just loving you, even when he's scared or she's <laughs> scared and has their tail between their legs and they just they love us so deeply that they would they would just be there for us. Mm-hmm. I mean it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could just keep you here. We're gonna have to do like a part two, I think. <laughs> Um, at some point. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you my two questions. I'm excited to hear your answers. So the first one is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? It rhymes with dove. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, I think I know the answer. (laughs) It's not shove. It's love. folks (laughs) folks <laughs> uh what so can you can i repeat tell me the question so i can repeat it with yeah what what's been the most vital to your growth well no doubt love but to seek to understand it in myself and others everything great that i do comes from a place of love nothing i do great comes from anywhere else so to say that means to understand that Operating from love is when I operate from passion, with excitement, with compassion, and with, with positive desire to do great things. That all comes from love. So 
understanding that. And I really, really start to understand love on this level at 19 before Italy, um, because I had a teacher that actually unlocked this for me through um, a book called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm, a German psychologist. Mm-hmm. He took from, um, this gentleman took from Martin Luther King and, and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and Jesus Christ and all sorts of different people on different fields about love. And this teacher, when I was 19, really opened my eyes to this. And again, I, it's, in, it's in all of us. It's in all of us. It's there. Mm-hmm. But not everyone can see it and express it. So that is a gift I was, I was able to unlock. Love has been the most vital thing to my growth. There's definitely other answers, but yeah. To, my quest to understand, to create, and to be love has been the most vital in my growth. I can't imagine growing any other way. Mm. It all, all the other answers comes back to that. It does. Yeah. It, uh-huh. it does. Awesome. All right. Second question is, what do you want to make sure that people know? It rhymes with shove. <laughs> <laughs> Shove people, y'all. Shove them. <laughs> love people, y'all. Love them. Uh, love is more than a feeling. It's an action. It's something you do. If it were only a feeling, it would come and go. If it were only a feeling, we wouldn't have any reason for faith and devotion and marriage and commitment. Love is something you do to help someone grow to their fullest potential. And when you do that for someone else, you are growing to your fullest potential. If we make the effort to love others in the simplest of ways, a smile, showing up, giving them your eyes and your attention, giving them your your time and your patience, you are being loving. You can single-handedly save someone's life and change someone's life by that. Mm. My father's life changed through love. He was a jerk to me my entire life. He was so hard on me. He was so hard on my mother. But in the end of his life, he was so loving. I had to let the bastard in and he got in. Mm-hmm. And um, he taught me love in an even more superior way because he just kept showing up. He just kept trying. Mm. So if we make this conscious effort every day to ask ourselves, are we choosing peace? Are we chilling out and trying to be calm and work on our breath and be at ease? Are we choosing focus and tapping into our ADHD superpower to stay focused and do the work and stay present and not think about anything else but the work for a lot of amount of time? Or are we choosing love where we're trying to show up for ourselves and other people and just be kind? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll go and I'll be kind to my family, my sister, and my loved ones right now after this. And even if they don't respond in a way that makes me feel loved, it goes back to knowing that I made my effort. And whether I fall off the face of this earth or they do, I made my effort. Mm-hmm. I know I did my best. So to, to know that you do your best is, is to find peace. And to be loving, they're all the same, to be honest. Mm-hmm. When you're in a pace of peace, peace, you're in a place of love. When you're loving, it's peaceful. When you're peaceful, it's loving. It's all the same. And it's all, going, it's all getting back to love. It's all getting a return to love. And it's easier said than done. I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm all day. You know, I'm, I can be loving to everyone around me. I can make my baristas laugh. I can make you laugh, Sarah. But when I'm in my dark place, when I'm alone, mm-hmm. late at night, when I'm writing or by myself or I feel guilty and I'm, I'm, I'm alone, that's the hardest for me. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have to be my most loving is remind myself, hey, kid, you're pretty cool. You're pretty cool, Drew. 
Mm-hmm. You're not that bad. You're really goofy. You're definitely a jackass, but you're cool. <laughs> and, you know, if you make that conscious effort, you will move mountains for yourself and others. And all the things you want will come through that. You're not going to get anything you want through anything else. Mm-hmm. Focus, peace, and love. Mm-hmm. And it is literally an all-day effort. Like I said, I hurt my friend's feelings, and I didn't even realize I did it. And now I'm going to go out of my way to be loving, to be patient and peaceful, and to be focused. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all I can do. Right. And if, and if you can't be rewarded by that, then what could you be rewarded by, you know? Right. So, so love and shove more, y'all. Shove, shove, <laughs> shove. If they don't love you back, you shove them. You shove them no, so you no. love me now. It's only the, the rhymes with. <laughs> I've been doing this a lot lately. This is my, my weird nuance thing. Some of my friends hate it. I just love it. <laughs> I'm thinking, or like I'll, t- I'll be like, uh, gosh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make a joke and I'll say, I'm talking to a friend like Mike Ramirez. You met Mike at, at uh, Carrie Little's event. And I'm like, Mike, I'm thinking of a person named I'm thinking of a person named Bike Katiras. And he's like, me? You got it. But yeah. That's funny. And you know, I wasn't, I wasn't always a goofball. I, I, in high school, I was very much introverted and had to be a tough guy and protect myself so I wouldn't get beaten up or I you know, wasn't mm-hmm. intimidated. Men had to do that. They had to put up this front. Women do too. It's when I <laughs> unlocked my love and a passion where I said, like my father would, I don't give a fuck. I am who I am. Mm-hmm. Or my mother would say, you don't need to be anyone but you. Who cares what other people think? Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not their job to like you. It's your job to like you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So. Mm-hmm. It rhymes with shove. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's going to stick in people's mind. That's for sure. You show them, folks. <laughs> you show them. You love them. You dove them. All right. So tell people how they can connect with you. Where, where can they find you? Uh, Social media is Drew Grit. That's my nickname. D-R-U-E-G-R-I-T. My personal website with some of my work and my writings at drewgrit.com. You can also look at the film, The Love Effect, um, theloveeffect.org. The next thing I'm working on that I haven't spoken about is The Incredible Existence of You. This is both a novel series, a three-part novel series, and a feature film. I started raising money for the film, and at the same time, I'm finishing the first book. And it's really about the incredible existence to you is about second chances at life and love for multiple people in different stories. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to have a beautiful impact on a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for people to check out what they may find on the incredible existence of you.com or um, even the Instagram. So the, the net, the current project is a, a couple small, small things that I'm working on that I'm excited for. I'm directing the pilot for a show with Larry King. It's a very, very small little social media pilot, but that's, that's coming in this, this week. But the, the main squeeze, the main shove, if you will, is the incredible existence of you, the book and um, the film. Mm-hmm. And, and potentially another small project that I might be able to tell you about next time we chat. Awesome. So, 
ADHD going everywhere. We're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're shoving this person, we're shoving that person, we're loving her, we're loving him, we're yeah. shoving this. I could totally identify with that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's just keep it moving, you know? Well, no doubt, whatever it is that you're working on will make an amazing impact. And so I really encourage people to get connected with you and check out your upcoming projects, but also the things that you've already done. And so are you continuing to raise money for the incredible existence of you or where are you at with that at this point? Thank you for asking. I raised a small amount of funds for the film. I decided to switch gears because I was asking for far little than I actually need. And it's a film I designed to film in Prescott, Arizona, where part of my family lives. Beautiful place. And I want, I want to do the best version of this film. And what I was asking for was the minimal version of this film. So that helped me switch gears to realize that I should pause on raising money and focus on the book. Because when the book comes out, there, people will feel and see it. And it will make it easier to then raise the money to make the best version of the film. Mm-hmm. I wrote a film that I think is really beautiful and it's going to affect a lot of people. And I have the means to do it at, at the budget I was raising. But it goes back to that thing of it should be the best version of that film, just like I should be the best version of myself. And I was um, shorthanding myself, which I do sometimes and we all do sometimes. Mm -hmm. So right now, I'm basically finishing the last 10% of the third draft of the novel, The Incredible Existence of You. I'm going to share it with my my friends who are are writers in the business and then share with publishers to see what they think and if they want to they want to help if they want to take it on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then from there depending on the feedback i'll either do the secret project on the side this summer or i will approach the film and fundraising another way but yeah thank you for asking the most the most i could ask for people just check out my work and and see if it makes you feel anything yeah well no doubt that it will so i'm gonna shove them it's kind of hard yeah it's kind of hard not to when you're being shoved (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's so good kind of hard not to when you're being shoved (laughs) but the reality is is you really are loving and so i you're you're not shoving but i just want to say thank you for the love you are spreading and the impact that you are making in this world and and it's big, and I hope you know that. And I, I'm going to be like your mom right now and, and say, I hope you do realize how impactful you are and that that just continues to grow and grow because you definitely deserve it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being my guest and, and being vulnerable and sharing your heart with all of us. Sarah, I feel the exact same. I appreciate you so much for the work. and for your grace with this and just being so being happy that is also a choice and it radiates from you and i appreciate everything you said but mostly i appreciate how you shove with happiness and i think it's the it's a good thing it's the right thing thank you all right my friends what an awesome interview We absolutely believe in the power of our stories and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. This episode of the WE Podcast is brought to you by the WE Spot. 
The We Spot is your go-to spot to learn, grow, and connect with like-minded people. It's your place for all things growth and community. Head on over to our Facebook page and get plugged in. You'll find more episodes of the We Podcast as well as the We Spot blog and information about our Northern Colorado meetup called We Are Women Rising. You can also find us on Instagram and for all the info, go to theweespot.com. If you love the We Spot, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. This guarantees that more people will get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth. Grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.